Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. On the latest episode of BCC The Other Side, Bryce Johnson gets the band back together. It's a Willow Creek Zoom reunion with director Bobcat Goldthwait, co-star Alexi Gilmore, producer Amy Pearson, and co-star Timmy Pearson. To watch this reunion, go to patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club and subscribe. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan, with me always as your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. And we're recording this on the night of the Wolf Moon. <laughs> That's right. We're wolf, we're wolf Brothers once again, which for the <laughs> sake of our, our guest, I'm not going to re-explain what that means. But it's <laughs> something that Nova and I know. Um, uh, before we introduce our guest, and uh, I'm so excited that we have her today. I want to make a quick correction from last week when I was telling the story in the BCC news about uh, the Oklahoma lawmaker who, uh, you know, wants to hunt Bigfoot, basically open Bigfoot hunting season. I said the reward was $2,500 and it's actually $25,000. I feel like you said 25000 No, I said 2500 Maybe I, I look, my Even mind. still a paltry amount. 25 G? Come on. That's why I agreed with you, but I was listening back to the episode. And here's the thing yeah. when you're hosting a podcast Come and on. you are an anxious person to begin with, you are. I, there's one half of your brain is is focusing on the production of the show and what's happening next and what you're doing. And then the other half of your brain is trying to talk. And sometimes you just I'm learning so often how many times I think I say one word and I'm it's not that at all. I say a completely different word. I do it all the time. So uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, look, it's yeah. Bigfoot. Pony up the bucks, right? That should be at least worth a mil. I mean, Bigelow's yeah, offering 25. a mil for proof of life after death. I mean, Brother. pony it up. Let's go. That's right. Anyway, so apologies. Okay, Bryce, why don't you bring in today's guest? Yes, let's do it. Our next guest is an American anthropologist, primatologist, and Emmy-nominated wildlife correspondent for National Geographic. She discovered a new species of lemur, considered to be the world's smallest primate. She's co-written several scientific papers on lemurs, as well as her own book, Pink Boots and a Machete, an adventurer who is often and for good reason referred to as the female Indiana Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Expedition Bigfoot team member, Dr. Maria Mayer. Hey, Bryce. You sound like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for you, you get a spe- – God, yeah, you, there's so much uh, 
to intro there. What Female a- Indiana Jones. First yeah. of all, that's 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 how does that make you feel? Not bad. I, you know, funny story. I met Harrison Ford and had dinner with him. And I said, for many years, I've been referred to as the female Indiana Jones. So for one night, I'm just going to call you the male Dr. Maria May. That's, what I'm <laughs> That's so awesome. And I did. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we love him. Yeah. Eat your heart out, Laura Croft. <laughs> so look, Maria, tell us where you're from. How have you accomplished so much in your life? And what the hell are you doing on our podcast? <laughs> oh, my God. Where to start? Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I had a really weird route into my field. I was uh, a city girl. I grew up in Miami, Florida. So not a lot of opportunities to explore nature. And uh, my parents are Cuban and super overprotective. And when I asked them if I could join the Girl Scouts, they said, no way. That is far too dangerous. <laughs> and uh, and wow. then to top it all off, I became a, an NFL cheerleader for the Miami Dolphins. So, again, kind of not, you know, the mm-hmm. what you'd imagine, say, Indiana Jones doing in his spare time, right? Um, but I fell in love with exploration and the possibility of discovery. I became really interested in trying to save um, primates that were on the verge of extinction. Many of them had never been studied. Some of them had never even been photographed. So wow. that's what really propelled me into to this field. And so it really was a, a natural transition, actually, to become a part of your team on Expedition Bigfoot, because for my entire career, I have been in hot pursuit of animals that most people said could never be found, um, that were incredibly rare and elusive. And uh, and as you mentioned, I also discovered, um, or I should say co-discovered with my colleague, mm-hmm. uh, the world's smallest primate. So I know that there are species out there that we just haven't found. And so for me, this was just a, like a natural fit. Wow. I, 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 what am I doing on your podcast? I don't know, man. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've got nothing we, else. That's yeah, We can't feed you. I don't, I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you. There's no way to feed you over a podcast. You know, you Uber Eats. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, sponsor. Go for text, it. Text Bryce will send something over. <laughs> Uh, if I can interject, what, you know, we like to ask our guests what their personal paranormal history is. I'm not, you know, that doesn't always apply, but I, maybe it does. Maybe you have a paranormal story or a ghost story or two. If so, we'd love to hear it. I want to know what you thought about Bigfoot before you got into production on Expedition Bigfoot. What, did you even consider a creature like Bigfoot maybe being a possibility? I honestly didn't really give Bigfoot a lot of thought, if Mm -hmm. if I'm completely honest. Uh, You know, I also grew up hearing about um, the many lores and and legends, but it was not something that was quite on my radar. Um, I think that it does engage my curiosity and fascination, especially because of the tens of thousands of witness accounts that come forward, which is actually a way that I use in the field when I'm looking for a primate that um, no one has been able to study before because they're so difficult to find. So I think that there's a, a lot of weight that is that in, in that. And, you know, I figure even if all of those are not true, all it takes is for one of them to be true and it's worth pursuing. So As far as ghost stories, though, it's really funny that you would bring that up because I've had some really strange happenings. I don't know if I'd call them ghosts per se, but someone might. Um, I very vividly remember being in Congo. I was actually on on an expedition uh, looking for Western lowland gorillas. And I stayed at this village that bordered a river that it was too late at night to cross. And they handed me the keys to this one particular hut. And I went in and I put my stuff down. I was exhausted. I'd been trekking for hours. And I went to sleep. And I woke up uh, to what, sort of out of a very vivid nightmare, to what looked like hands coming through bars through my door. What? It was like the, the door had 
transformed into what you would imagine a jail cell to look like. And these hands were coming through there and they were reaching out at me and they would come closer and closer. And at the point that I woke up, they were almost like right in front of my face. And I, I was awake and I, I was in that groggy state to kind of still see them anyway, woke up out of that. But I was so shooken up that I, I kind of, you know, got up, walked around a bit, packed up my stuff. It was it was time to head out. And as I handed the keys back, um, the gentleman said to me that how was your night? And I said, oh, you know, I was being very polite. I said, oh, it was great. It was great. Thank you so much for your hospitality. And he said, you know, that that hut where you were staying in, that was built over the burial grounds where they used to toss the slaves and prisoners oh, when they would die. And it was like this. I mean, I just got goosebumps when he said that, because it really was like my room transformed into a jail cell and the hands were trying to reach in. It was so bizarre. So I don't know, call it what you will, but I really had no knowledge of the area. And it was just, as I say, a bizarre coincidence. (laughs) I mean, that's, I mean, it's hard not to, to hear about that and go, Oh man. I mean, that vibes with totally what I experienced. I mean, you know, allowing for as much conjecture as you want, what, what do you think's going on there? Is that residual energy or, do you believe it could be the the spirits of those um, those people who perish there, or do you have any ideas on that or thoughts on that? So, as a scientist, a very difficult question to answer, right? Because logic yeah. says I just had a weird dream, and it you know it was a it was a coincidence. Uh, I do think that we give off we are energy, hmm. and I'm not sure that energy really just disappears when we leave the physical world. Right. So, and, and you can, you know, there's moments that you, you walk into someone's house, you can feel either the happiness or the angst, you know, there, there's energy, right. Mm. That people leave behind. And, but it was, it was one of the strangest things that had ever happened to me. And then Bryce, you were, you know, on expedition with us when I had that second weird thing, kind of similar, you know, I went to sleep and I had this a bizarre dream that there were little girls giggling outside my tent. And I woke up to what I could still hear these like really loud and, and actually quite creepy uh, little girl giggles. And then several nights later, as Ronnie and I were, uh, you know, on a, on a hunt, we stumbled upon this old graveyard and, I could not believe what I was seeing. Every yeah. single headstone belonged to a little girl. That was it. The entire graveyard. I mean, so it's I, such a similar experience from your, the one in your Congo. That's so wild. You might be sensitive to those sort of things. I don't know. Um, apparently. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I'd uh, love to give it away if anyone wants it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be like, I'll take it. I also wonder too, Dr. Maria, if it has something to do with the expeditions that you're on themselves, because as we've been getting into this winter, we're reading lots of stories and books about connections between Bigfoot and paranormal activity. Um, I'm curious if when you're doing an expedition in the Congo and you're looking for, did you say the Western lowland gorillas? Correct. Yes. So is there any folklore attached to gorillas themselves are they associated uh by the locals do the locals associate them with any sort of spiritual attributes Mm. or or magical or perhaps paranormal attributes good question um not that i'm aware of but that doesn't mean that that's not the case mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think back to I, I know in madagascar for example the lemurs many of them have actually survived because um the 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 locals believe that when they die uh they are reincarnated and so mm-hmm. these are like their ancestors right cool. Um, but I haven't heard the same with gorillas. Doesn't mean that there that something doesn't exist. I, I was just curious because you know people will uh, say like, 
you know, when Bigfoot's around, there's orb activity. I didn't know, you know, I, I was assuming not, but I was wondering, like, well, what if there are a lot of or what if there's a lot of orb activity around other large primates? Maybe there's something there that we just haven't figured out yet. I don't know. Um, That's wrong, Blaine. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking like Ronnie right now. We had him on last week, and we we trust me, we got plenty of orb stories and, <laughs> and, and disappearing Bigfoots. So uh, yeah, we've so covered that area. If if Bigfoot exists, and let's say it's a flesh and blood primate, is it possible that based on at least let's narrow it down to North America or places like Southeast Kentucky or uh, wherever you guys were in Oregon? Um, is it possible that primates that size could exist somewhere out there in the forest and still be undiscovered? Is it possible? Yes. yes. It's possible. You know, many would argue that, is it likely? Um, no, but I like to think that it's out there and I like to think that it is very much possible. I, again, we, we're making discoveries all the time. New yeah. species are being discovered um, by by really like, I think it's more than a hundred a year. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's a large number. And many in places that are very explored. And, and sometimes we just don't pay enough attention. Now, when you're talking of, of something as, you know, as large as what Bigfoot is described to be, you think, well, that's that doesn't sound very possible, but the truth is, is that even Western lowland gorillas that can, you know, silverbacks can weigh up to 500 pounds. They weren't discovered until 140 years ago. That's really not a long time ago. Nothing. Yeah. And it's not just insects that we're discovering all the time and small, you know, no. mammalian creatures. I mean, it was just this last year in December where off the coast of Mexico, they believe they discovered a new species of whale. Um, which is huge. And so, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Discoveries are being made all the time, including mm-hmm. things like the giant panda and the, and the giant squid and, and, and other creatures that have been talked about by the, the indigenous people there, but, and then kind of confirmed by adventurers and scientists. Bryce, so you literally have just quoted your own character from Willow Creek. and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Oh my God. I'm a carbon but- copy. So because the thing when I talk to friends who are skeptical about Bigfoot and look, I, I try to keep an open mind. I, I tend to think something's going on. Something's behind these stories. The big question that comes up and also this came up in Willow Creek, which we watched recently, um, is the body. Well, if Bigfoot exists, why haven't we found bodies yet? You know, and I, it's nice to have a scientist on here to ask how easy is it to find to discover the body of a primate in, in the forest? Hmm. Uh, it's not easy. You know, as you could imagine, in those kind of conditions, things decompose very quickly and animals get to them and, um, you know, weather does its thing. Uh, is it is it possible? Sure, I have. I, I've found them. But generally when I have found them, it's been a like a recent kill. Like, you know, hmm. say uh, a fusa or a leopard has killed something. And so it's a lot easier to find. But if something is very, you know, deep in the forest and well hidden, it has quite a lot of time to just decompose to where it would be very difficult for us to find. Yeah. I mean, isn't it with, uh, you know, the discovery of of, uh, Homo floresiensis, it was just a a small couple of teeth found in a cave, right, that that confirmed the existence of that, you know, unknown uh, human lineage. Of, of this new species. So, you know, these bones or, and these, these bones do exist and they're, God, you're just, it's like finding a, a needle in a haystack, really. I mean, you're just hoping luck is on your side. How many people really find any bones when they're out in the woods? It, you know, they just, it, it's not something you come across often. No. And that's exactly right. Uh, it, it is very much like finding a needle in a haystack because, you know, you spent some time in the field, you could see just how much, undergrowth and foliage and uh everything is just in complete disarray so it's incredibly difficult to find anything like that Mm. especially in uh where you guys are filming in southeast kentucky that uh that vine that's covering everything is oh my god yeah i mean look that appalachian yeah oh go ahead maria (laughs) 
No, no, I was just going to say it. Get completely covered in poison ivy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all you have to do is like go there and and walk up and down a couple of those ridges to realize, okay, something could could definitely hide in here. I mean, that that ridge line runs about 200 miles up and down the coast and it's just it's it's expansive rugged terrain. I mean, it's and and there's so many I would think still unexplored spots uh in and around the Appalachian Trail. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we just covered this tiny parcel and we were out there trekking 12 hours or or more every day. So yeah, there, and, and so many just hidden valleys and waterways. I mean, it just was like a massive labyrinth. It is fascinating watching the show, and um, I guess I should say uh, we're getting into spoiler territory for the first four episodes of season two, so uh, we had some of our Canadian listeners saying, stop spoiling the show, we haven't gotten it here yet. Yeah. We've been spoiling the shit out of it, I mean, we're, well, we're covering this thing. Uh, uh, we, we apologize, we, you know, we can't wait for the rest of the world to catch up. We've got Dr. Maria Mayer to speak to. Um, but it is, it is really funny when they pull out on that map and show what area you're covering. I'm always sitting there going, my God, that, that, there's no way they're going to get to all, the, all of this in, in 17 days. Yeah, it was really daunting when we got there and we started discovering just how many valleys there are the the hollows the or the hollers and uh and also just all the waterways i i mean it was truly just sort of overwhelming and it always feels like that at the beginning of an expedition because you really are just throwing kind of a dart if if, mm. if you will but what really helps us is having bryce's intel and the technology because we are able to more quickly start uh pointing the dart in the right direction and having uh, specialists and experts that can come out and really, you know, buy us time or, or speed things up, if you will, so that what would take us ordinarily several days to do, we can get it done in, in one afternoon so that we can, we can keep covering more ground. This yeah, that li- that LIDAR mapping is just incredible. incredible. I mean, it's like such an amazing tool because it's not, I mean, it's not it's science, but it's not rocket science, right? I think what we're looking for is always game trails that intersect with with water sources mm-hmm. and and well trodden paths where you find wildlife. So our I guess you know it basically it's like where the wildlife go, where the food go, therefore possibly Bigfoot goes. And so when you can see those those game trails from the the lidar mapping, it's just like it's such an amazing tool. That was incredible. And but but just to see the amount of game trails too was Yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, oh wow, how are we gonna do that? <laughs> how how does it compare to uh figuring out where to look for mountain gorillas versus where to, you know, this algorithm or whatever whatever you guys come up with to find, okay, we're gonna do this area of southeast Kentucky. Uh, what's the how does that compare to like one of your, I don't want to say regular expeditions, because I, I don't think there's anything the, regular about what you do. But <laughs> So, yeah, one of the plain old boring ones. Um, yeah, it's it's so different because so obviously we know where most gorillas are and we know where, you know, most other primates are. Um, but when we're looking for new populations of them we are looking for the right kind of habitat. We're looking for evidence that they've been through the area, uh, like um, trodden down pieces of grass and branches and eaten foods and also nests. I mean, nests are an incredible way to survey an area and get a sort of a head count, right, on on what's there and how many there are. So it's, it's different. I mean, this feels a lot more difficult, of course, but not not necessarily more crazy difficult than when I set off to Madagascar in search of uh, it's, it's called a Perrier Shifaka. And this is a lemur species that again, had never been studied before and had never even been photographed. And I'd walk, you know, at least 10 hours a day looking for this thing. And it was like, I had no idea where to go next. And we're finding new populations of other kinds of primates in area where really people weren't even looking for them, but in looking for something else. And and that's one of the, I just want to segue because that's actually one of the reasons 
that I'm so um, just so in on this expedition because mm. there are people that will say, well, you know, what, why are you bothering with this? Or why aren't you out searching for, you know, something that is endangered that we know that kind of thing. I, I think exploration is important for the mere sake of exploration because you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah. And there have been so many times on expeditions, not just my own, but many scientists where they're set off looking for one thing and then they discover another. So I am just all for exploration and this is a great opportunity to do that. I love that so much that I think that's, that's the true scientific mindset. It's you're not going out to confirm what you already believe to be the case. You're, you're going out and exploring it as it comes and what it is. I just, I, I love that. That's and, awesome. And, and that is what science is all about. It's about the pursuit of knowledge. It's about answering the unanswered questions. It's about possibly making a new discovery. And so it, it, it's funny to me when other scientists, um, don't have an open mind, you know, to something like this, because for me, it's the very basis of science. Yeah. yeah. You know, what I love about sort of what you're doing too is, is, uh, you know, and especially being on Expedition Bigfoot, I think, I think you're inspiring a lot of people, possibly a, a whole nother generation of scientists who, because when you're young, right, I mean, you can get really excited about science, but when, when science is mixed with a little bit of mystery, I think mm -hmm. something magical happens, right? You get this feeling that, oh my gosh, maybe the world isn't completely explored. Maybe there's some stuff left for me to do, you know? And I, and, and yeah. I just, I just love that that I think that's what you're doing. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, yeah. you're certainly setting a precedent for Bigfoot hunters, you know, growing up as a kid, a Bigfoot hunter was just a guy with a pickup truck and an American Eagle t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I was wondering, um, you know, cause I, I pulled a quote, I was looking for a great segue, but I want to talk a little bit about Jane Goodall and, and, and the work that she did. How much of, how much of her work was an inspiration to you? Because I know well, she wrote the foreword to your book. She did, which <laughs> I sort of, I sometimes pick up my my book and reread it and I'm gobsmacked all over again <laughs> that she would write the foreword to my book. I mean, I'm in awe of her, you know, along with the rest of the world. And I've, every time she's in front of me, I mean, she's, she's this sort of, um, you know, she's not a very big person, but her presence is so massive. And she is such an inspiration. You know, the funny thing is, is again, I grew up very sheltered, uh, Cuban upbringing. I, I didn't really even know who Jane Goodall was back mm. then. And it was only when I got to college and I started taking an anthropology class that I started learning about these amazing women that were out in the field and very similar to me did not have a scientific background. In fact, it was it was almost why they were so good at it because they were very, um, you know, eager and curious and passionate about it. Yeah. And to me, that really trumps any academic background any day of the week. And, you know, they, they were, they're considered, uh, or they're called Leakey's Angels, right? So Louis Leakey, uh, he, set, uh, he sent Baruti Galdikas off to, uh, study orangutans. He, he sent Jane Goodall off to study chimps and he sent Diane Fossey uh, off to study gorillas. Mm. None of these women had an academic scientific background, but they had the grit, the determination, the curiosity and the want to really want to do it. And that sums me up in a nutshell, because that's really how I launched into all of this. That's incredible. I love that. Oh, you know, yeah. well, I, I found a great little a little uh, quote here. And, uh, you know, when Jane Goodall was asked about Bigfoot and the possibility of their existence, she had this to say. Take a listen. Pleasure to speak with you. Um, I wanted to know if you believe there are any undiscovered large ape species. You're talking about a Yeti or Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Is that what he's talking about? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm out of the loop. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, now you'll be amazed when I tell you that I'm, I'm sure that they exist. I've talked to so many Native Americans who've all described the same sounds, two who've seen them. 
there was a little tiny snippet in the newspaper just last week, which says that British scientists have found what they believe to be a Yeti hair, and that the um, scientists in the Natural History Museum in London couldn't identify it as any known animal. Did you always have this belief that they existed? Well, I'm a romantic, so I always wanted them to exist. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Had you heard I that quote that. before I from her? I, I have heard that uh, only recently, actually, mm. uh, because I was starting to get a lot of grief, uh, you know, when I started doing this and I found this and I reminded myself that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And right. I am in total agreement with what she said. You know, there are so many accounts and there are so many, as she points out, Native American stories. In fact, for every tribe for every different language there's a different name for it but all the yeah. descriptions and the sounds are all the same and so consistent and there's just got to be something to it yeah i i agree when you when you see these creatures carved in detail on some of these totem poles you know most of those totem poles are representative of the actual flora and fauna that exist in their environment they're you know they didn't they didn't put a lot of mythological or uh, you know, creatures or animals on those totems. So when they're representing the, you know, the, the Sasquatch, as it was mm -hmm. coined up north, that they're saying this is a real thing and uh, it inhabits these woods and we've, we've long known about them, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I, I love that quote. Thank you for putting that in there. Yeah. Maria, do you think that, um, cause you, you, you sort of touched upon what my next question was going to be in terms of getting grief about this stuff. Cause you know, one of the stigmas that seems to follow people around, whether they're in the scientific community or they're an eyewitness is people tend to roll their eyes at this stuff. Do you think that's changing? Do you see any hope that maybe we're going to turn the corner? It seems to be happening in the UFO community now in that world people are tending to take like ufo stuff a little bit more seriously um do you see any hope for that happening with the bigfoot phenomenon i mean i definitely see a lot more people coming forward and being more comfortable talking about it uh, i'm sure like you bryce i get dozens of emails a day from people saying I have never shared this story before, right. uh, not even with my family. This is the first time I've ever told anyone. And they'll go on to describe their really quite descriptive and powerful encounter or experience that they've had. And I think that the more people see, especially, you know, uh, a televisual audience, right, sees more and more people who, quite frankly, have a lot more to lose than gain by coming forward. You know, we're not talking about like wanting a, a quick five minutes of fame here. We're talking about people's reputations and livelihoods on the line. And they still want and, and are brave enough to share these stories. I think that sort of level of, of being brave is contagious and other people might start to feel more comfortable. And I mean, I am definitely getting inundated uh, with emails from, from people just sharing what they've experienced out in the woods. Yeah, there's certainly a variety of those and you're right. I, I, I get quite a few of those and, you know, there's always a pang of truth in, in a lot of them too. You're just like, man, you know, though there's just a, some of them just ring out as like, you know, this person is, is, is wanting to come forward, just like you said, and, and share this story. Um, yeah, it's wild. There's gotta be something to that. I always look at it like, you know, whether it exists or not, there's a phenomenon taking place here and one that's worth studying because people all over the world are reporting, seeing something, experiencing something. And so it's worth exploring. It's worth investigating. So, um, yeah, I, th I think, I, I hope you're right. I, I do like to think that the giggle factor and the taboo nature of the subject will will dissipate a little bit. And you know what? I've always been to the type of guy to be like, who gives a fuck what other people think? So whether it goes away or not, I, I don't care. You know, uh, I'm interested in it. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Pink boots and a machete, because I couldn't care less. Yeah. <laughs> I put pink boots and a machete. Don't like it? Tough. Right, right. That's so great. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, doctor, I have an, uh, one more question on my end before we move on. Uh, what, out of all the evidence you found on, let's say, Expedition Bigfoot, uh, gives you the most hope 
for the existence of this animal? Is it the nests that you guys have found, the tree structures, the vocalizations, the footprints? What what makes you, what is the thing that goes, okay, we're on to something here? So I'm looking for irrefutable evidence, right? And uh, unless I could take this piece of evidence and, and present it to the scientific community, it to I, I you know I'm not convinced. H- having said that, uh, when you are putting together a puzzle, you need to look at the very many different pieces that are involved. And each one of these pieces of evidence that we have found on the expeditions, especially this last expedition, I mean, it was sort of mind blowing. And I wish I could share more details. <laughs> Bryce, oh, you, you let me know when I go too far. But I keep telling them the same thing. You Just, can't you know, go strap too far in for and hold us. On. We're <laughs> going to try to get it out of you. So. But I got to tell you, uh, all of these layers, all of these pieces, when you have them individually, sure, they, they amount to something and it's interesting But when you're looking at the whole picture and you're starting to see the puzzle come together and all, there's all these different layers to it. Then you start to go, huh, you know, what have we got here? Because it's, you know, the the nest that we found in Oregon uh, was to me a real surprise. You know, the the only nest that I'd seen that that a primate built to like that sort of size and stuff is is a gorilla but this was much more than that this was you know like almost like a hut right mm-hmm. it takes a lot more uh force aside and planning and dexterity i mean this was really intricate um and then these uh you know ronnie kept referring to these tree structures and i didn't know what in the world he was talking about right until i did because I certainly didn't even need to tell, point it out. I saw it. And when you're in a forest, there is so much disorder that what actually catches your eyes or, or catches your eye is when you see order. Mm, wow. And to, to see that in the middle of nowhere. Um, and again, that that one is a, a, a later, maybe the, the, the upcoming episode. But wow. I mean, I just thought, okay, this is amazing, right? And so, and and then certain tracks um, have been really compelling, and uh, some other stuff that I again I'm not at liberty to talk about. I don't think right now. It's just when you start to put the composite together, you know it it's it makes me raise an eyebrow. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I, encouraging. It's encouraging. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and also one of the things that comes up on the show are the mines and the caves. Are there any known primates that will turn caves and holes into habitats? Sure. Uh, there's primates that use caves as habitats uh, in, in Africa and Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much holes, uh, but uh, definitely caves. Yeah. Okay. Cool stuff. I'm I, I love it. Uh Bryce, anything else before or Riley before we move on to our game? Um, I mean I had uh that Maria survived a plane crash, but I think people can read about that in her book available on Amazon, which I just ordered. I can't believe I haven't read it yet, but um Me neither. Can't wait to get into it. Wow. <laughs> you really are Indiana Jones. That's that's and what a great tease to pick up her book. <laughs> We'll put, I love uh, that that's the story we're just glossing. Yeah, over. we're going to pass right <laughs> by that one. Well, you know what? I will put a link to Maria's book in the show notes for sure. Uh, so people can just pull those up and then click over to it. Okay. Dr. Maria Mayer, we have a game that we like to play with all of our guests. I'm going to go down a list of phenomena. And if you're open to it or totally, uh, totally believe it, you're going to say, believe it. If you're not open to it or it sounds like malarkey, you're going to say bullshit. This is a game that we like to play. We like to call bullshit or believe it. All right. right. Maria, on your mark. Get set. (laughs) Ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Wait, is there an in-between? There is the whole there's the not in this inflection. game. There's not you can use inflection and any we can circle back to stuff too at the end of the list. All right. All right. So you said believe it to ghosts. Here's the next yeah, one. I don't know. I want to take I'm not sure. We'll um, come back. That's we'll not come back. <laughs> UFOs. 
<laughs> a oh, little yeah. more strong, believe it, maybe. Bigfoot. Oh, you guys are tough. I can't play this game. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll tell you why I can't play this game. I am so the wrong person for this game. <laughs> when it comes to belief, right? I That's religion, right? I'm not, we're not talking about religion. If I'm thinking about if, if Bigfoot exists, then I need concrete physical evidence and so it doesn't matter what i believe and so that's why this 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 game does not apply to me do you know there the you only go. other wow. person that, that we've had someone... i'm gonna call it bullshit on the game right now if if uh the only other person that's had this much trouble with it is like our most paranormal guest ever the person who's our biggest like paranormal researcher john el tenney so oh, yeah I that's love right. that you guys come down on the same side <laughs> those are nice bookends those are perfect <laughs> what if we just change it to open to it bullshit or open to that, or i'm that, open okay that we can play okay say i'm open okay instead of believing okay. esp <laughs> open to it shadow people mm, gonna call bullshit on that one unicorns <laughs> bullshit don't tell my kid alien abductions <laughs> bullshit yeti open to it mothman bullshit out-of-body experiences. Open to it. Tarot cards. Oh, those are just fun. <laughs> Demo- Open to it. <laughs> yeah, great. Demonically possessed dolls. <laughs> Bullshit. The healing power of crystals. Open to it. An alien spacecraft crashed at Roswell. <laughs> um, on the bullshit side. Loch Ness Monster bullshit haunted houses open to it atlantis yeah let's say open to it the jersey devil bullshit the biblical devil (laughs) (laughs) well i've met some people i'm gonna say open to that (laughs) speaking to the dead open to that mermaids bullshit the government is hiding the truth about Sasquatch. I'm open to that. Past lives. Open to that. Life on other planets. Also open to that. Life after death. Open to it. Hey, wow. now that was a All game. Right. That wow. still works. Wow. She's <laughs> the only one that gets to play that way. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's it. She didn't know that I, I could hard pivot and still get her to go down the list. So, I was impressed. Uh, ghosts, we can circle back before we the game fellow, you know, change course. Ghosts, you're open to it, it sounds like. I Well, because of these strange experiences I've had, and, and my grandmother um, also had quite a lot of, of stories that she shared with me, which, uh, which does make me open to that hmm. stuff. Yeah. Can you share one of those stories? Yeah, sure. So one of them was she had a, a, a colleague at work um, who uh, she complimented her glasses. My grandmother complimented her friend's glasses. And um, and the woman, like the next day said, uh, you know, since you like them, let, let me just give them to you. And she said, you know, oh, no, 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 that's okay. And she's like, no, no, please, I want you to have them. So she gave them to her as a gift. And my grandmother started having these nightmares um, every day about the glasses. And a woman would come to her and say, give the glasses back. Those are not your glasses. So she went back to the woman Mm. and said, "Um, you know, I, um, I really appreciate it, but they're just too nice. Like I, you know, I, I can't accept this. Right. And uh, the woman said, well, you know what? I probably shouldn't have given them away. They belong to my sister who just passed away recently. Whoa. I don't know. Yeah. Sort of weird. The world is a strange place. Yeah. Sort of weird. Sort of weird. Open to it. (laughs) Totally open open to to it. it. Yeah. 
our, our listeners may have noticed that we left out a certain special character from that list. Uh, but don't worry, because the next, uh, the rest of the show is going to be all about that special guy. If you know who it is, you know who it is. Otherwise, <laughs> we'll be right back with this week's story of high strangeness. <laughs> All right, we're back, and it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Bryce, I'm going to hand it over to you. Let's do it. Well, Maria, seeing as how you're a Florida resident now, I have an obligation to our listeners to address one of our favorite cryptids on the podcast, the skunk ape. Usually the fellas only give me about 60 seconds to convince our guests of the smelly beast, but seeing as how you're a Floridian who just so happens to be a world-leading primatologist, I might take a little more time. The Pacific Northwest may be known for Bigfoot, but Florida, who just always has to do their own thing, is known for a different kind of Bigfoot, one that lurks around in the swamps and Everglades, a little leaner, a little meaner, and one less toe? Yes, I'm talking about none other than the Florida skunk ape. Are you familiar? I am familiar. Oh, okay. Well... The earliest published report of a skunk ape was from Suwanee County, east of Tallahassee in 1942, when a man said that one of the creatures hitched a ride on the running board of his car for nearly half a mile before jumping off and racing into the woods. Very appropriate. Like Marty, uh, was he like Marty McFly on the, like hanging on his tail on a skateboard? It, it didn't mention anything about a hoverboard, but I wouldn't put it past the beast. You know, but the legend goes back even further. For centuries, Florida Seminoles called them the Esti Chapchaki, or Tall Man. And oral stories have been passed down ever since. Stories of hairy giants that roamed the swamps and Everglades and places like the Kissimmee River. Different areas had different names, some translating to sand people or mangrove people. But although the names changed, it's hard not to think they may have been describing the same thing. Now, no one knows for certain where the name Skunk Ape came from. However, it was in the 60s when the name became popular. Some say it's because of the awful smell associated with the creature. And some might tell you that it was due to a striped tuft of white hair that ran along the creature's back. Either way, the description usually runs as follows. The Skunk Ape has shaggy reddish to dark brown hair, stands approximately 7 feet tall, and weighs in the vicinity of 400 to 500 pounds. The smell is often described as a revolting mixture of wet dog, cabbage, skunk, and rotting eggs. Sightings peaked in the 1970s as residential construction began encroaching on their habitat, driving them further into the Everglades. So much so, in fact, that the state legislature in April of 77 introduced a bill, HB 1664, to protect the elusive man-ape, which in part stated, quote, any person taking, possessing, harming, or molesting any anthropoid or humanoid animal, which is native to Florida, popularly known as the skunk ape, or doing any act reasonably capable of harming or molesting such animals, will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. End quote. The creature has exerted such a presence that in 1973, American cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman suggested the skunk ape be added to the extinct genus Dryopithecus. In one encounter that happened just after midnight on January 9th, 1974, Richard Lee Smith slammed his car into something near the intersection of U.S. Route 27 and Hollywood Boulevard on the eastern edge of the Everglades in Pembroke Pines. Smith told the Florida Highway Patrol that he initially thought he'd hit a tall man in dark clothing, but was stunned when a seven or eight foot tall, hairy creature lifted itself off the road, roared at him, and charged his car. Smith gunned his engine and took off. Over the next few hours, drivers in the area reported seeing a limping giant walking along US-27. Officers were dispatched, and at 2 in the morning, a Hialeah Gardens patrolman reported a huge, hairy creature limping along the road a few miles from the accident scene before it disappeared into the brush. At dawn, police searched the swamp with two helicopters but failed to find anything. And maybe that incident sparked outrage within the skunk ape community, because not too long after that, a long-distance trucker pulled into a rest stop along I-75 one night to catch a few winks. The trucker recounted how he was pulled from the cab of his truck by a hairy Bigfoot-like creature. Michael? It came right out of the truck, out of the... 
I, I have to start my story over. I messed up. Have you been drinking, sir? I'm just trying to get a few winks. Don't mind me. It came right out of the dark and tried to get in my truck. The thing carried me under its arm. My face was pressed into its hair. Ugh, it smelled awful. The man told a reporter. The trucker was able to kick himself free and make it back to his truck. The ape creature began pounding on his truck, but after the driver gave a few blasts on his air horn, the thing ran off into the woods. And if those roadside encounters don't convince you, perhaps maybe this one will. In February of 1971, five scholarly archaeologists were excavating an Indian mound deep in the Big Cypress Swamp, one of the most isolated areas of Florida. The five men told of an unwelcome beast that crashed into their camp in the middle of the night and generally wrecked the place before running off into the swamp. The intruder was described as a large biped primate without a neck, being seven to eight feet tall, about 700 pounds, and interestingly enough, covered with shaggy white fur. The team later found footprints measuring 18 inches by 11 inches wide, typical of other encounters, the witnesses complained about a sickening odor that lingered long after the creature had departed. And you know, you can't really talk Swamp Squatch without mentioning Dave Sheely, who first saw a skunk ape in 1973 when he was just nine years old, a few years after his father discovered a set of huge footprints. He was deer hunting with his brother Jack in the Big Cypress National Preserve. Quote, It was walking across the swamp and my brother spotted it first, Sheely recalled. But I couldn't see it over the grass. I wasn't tall enough. My brother picked me up, and I saw it about a hundred yards away. It looked like a man, but completely covered with hair. Today, Sheely owns and operates the Skunk Ape Research Center in Ochopee, a small town adjacent to the Big Cypress National Preserve. He believes there are about seven to nine of the creatures inhabiting the Everglades. And the reports don't stop there. I know it exists. Palm Beach County Sheriff Deputy Marvin Lewis insisted in 1980, he and fellow Deputy Ernie Milner shot a tall creature in 74, west of Lantana, that grunted and quickly disappeared into the swamp. I always love that scene when, uh, I think it's night patrol when the cop shoots him and then says, stop or I'll shoot. I imagine that happening. Uh, And of course, one of my personal all-time favorites, that time in late December of 2000, when an old granny who wished to remain anonymous sent a letter to her local sheriff's department along with a couple of photos of the alleged creature and stated with some agitation that Is, uh, I was doing it <laughs> young man know your place <clears throat> is someone missing an orangutan I saw in the news that monkeys get loose and can carry hepatitis and are very dangerous It had an awful smell that lasted well after it had left my yard. The orangutan was making deep whoop noises. It sounded much farther away than it turned out to be. If I had known it was as close to the hedgerow as it was, I wouldn't have walked up as close as I did. I'm a senior citizen. And if this animal had come out of the hedgerow after me, there wasn't a thing I could have done about it. It was about ten foot away from when it stood up. I'm concerned because my grandchildren like to come down and explore in my backyard. An animal this big could hurt someone seriously. The letter was signed. God bless. I prefer to remain anonymous. (laughs) Well, that encounter and subsequent photos have become known as the Mayaka Skunk Ape due to the area in which the photos were taken. So that's it. You know? What do you think, Maria? I mean, Whoa, I could feel you hard, hard day. Hard, hard turn. Hard pull on exit Hard out. Got to get these kids' homework done. I could thrill you all day with accounts of old... I wish all my kids had been gathered around me right now. (laughs) You guys are good. Right. You got to show her the photos. Let me finish. I will. Hold on. Okay. Okay. But unfortunately for you, I'm a very busy man. But perhaps you won't have to travel too far outside your own backyard to gather some irrefutable evidence of your own, Maria. And who knows? Maybe you can be remembered for discovering the world's smallest and largest primate in the world. What do you think? Should Expedition Bigfoot go to Florida next year? 
so I definitely think Expedition Bigfoot should go to Florida next year. Yes. Well, there um, you go. But, but based on the story, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, gotta... I, have you seen the Mayaka Skunk Ape photos? I remember showing to you, showing you them did. to you in you season one. Yeah. What did you no, ever think of those? I could send them please. to you again if you want. If we're a quick oh, glance, please, please, Bryce, send those to me again. Um... All right, hold on. I'm going to send them right over. Okay. Because um, they're very, they're very compelling. The, right, it does look over. like an orangutan, but it's it's not the colors of an orangutan. And I'm vamping here, but I feel like we're in Florida. I feel like, you know, I've seen Tiger King. We all have. We know people <laughs> like to collect exotic animals. So I wonder if perhaps some of this stuff, uh, some of these instances aren't an escaped primate from somebody's private zoo or yeah. home. Well, you know, one of the skunk ape theories were that, uh, you know, because in the circus, they used to have a lot of orangutan acts that would travel through in the 70s. And, and, and one of the theories was that a lot of these animals escaped and began sort of repopulating the Everglades. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, that's uh, that's it's a, a weird looking thing. Massive is, canines. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and in the letter, we only read part of it, but she said, I was able to snap two photos. In the second one, it sort of lifts up. Uh, as it was, and then it walked back off into the palmetto. So there you can see the movement. Yeah, yeah that you can see the movement in the first one and versus the second one. And we can. Uh, I always did like those photos. What but about anyway, the eye shine? Yeah, the eye shine. Tapitum lucidum. Yeah. That's very good, Bryce. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Tapitum <laughs> lucidum. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, well that go is ahead. awesome. I'm going to start calling you Dr. Johnson. <laughs> don't oh, do that no. yeah no, he's God, gonna get no. a big head actually you know what you can do that that's fine i'm, I'm okay with that <laughs> well maria i think i speak for all of us when i say what an absolute pleasure it was having you on our podcast i mean i i think i speak for all of us Wait, when i Bryce, say we, we admire we gotta what? ask her did she buy skunk cape do you buy did he sell skunk cape did, or, or better yet it? maria are you open to it <laughs> No. I got to get back to my research. You guys are good storytellers. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, thank you so much. We love your work on Expedition Bigfoot. The show would not work without you. Um, you are the glue, and so we just want to say it would be all things. orbs. It'd be it would be all orbs, orbs, <laughs> all orbs all the time. No, but in all seriousness, what I do love about this team is that all of us bring such a unique skill set and perspective, and uh, you know, we we keep each other both grounded and open minded, and uh, it's cool. It's great. It's a great team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Maria, we don't know where to find Bigfoot exactly, but where can our listeners find you? We mentioned the book, which I'm going to throw a link to. Where can they find you on social media or anywhere else? So my website is mariamayer.com and all of my handles on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are at Maria Mayer. Fantastic. And we'll tag in all the stuff when this goes up. Uh, if you want to find us, we're Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram at Bigfoot Pod on Twitter. Please go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. If you do, we might read it on the show like this one. Wow, five stars from Slockerties 22 Such a great podcast. Riley, Michael, and Bryce are interesting and hilarious. Can't get enough. And I'm going to tell you, we can't get enough of your reviews, as in we don't have enough right now. I'm running out of reviews to read, so please take a second, go over there and do it. It really does help get the show to more listeners. Uh, Boys, anything to plug before we take off? Expedition Bigfoot's airing exclusively on Discovery Plus Sunday nights. I mean, same. Best six bucks a month I ever spent, I gotta say. Yeah, and if you're watching the show, come join us on the Patreon, BCC, the other side of patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. We are recapping every single episode this season, and who knows? We might get Maria and maybe Ronnie and maybe even Russell back for, for a big conversation at the end of the season. Could happen. We don't know. I'm putting that out there now. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Dr. Maria Mayer, thank you so much again. Uh, to our listeners, good night. And go get regressed. Yay, we podcast All right.
Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.